Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. We'll be talking about faith. And we know how important it's faith for everybody, and especially how important is faith for a Christian. But what is faith? How do we get this faith? How do we increase in this faith that it's so popular subject in the Bible and the subject is so vast that I have no intention to cover everything in just in my one hour slot here, whatever I have here. But important it's so important if you turn your Bible to first Corinthians chapter thirteen at the end of the last chapter here, in first Corinthians chapter thirteen as you open your Bible so this great loving chapter here, and right at the end of it, in verse 13, when Paul is summarized here, he says, in verse 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13, he says, And now abide faith, hope, love, and this tree, but the greatest of this is love. So even though the love is here as the greatest of it, the love is not possible without faith, and love is not possible without hope. So the all three ingredients are mixed up together, and they can exist one without the other. Also, Paul, in the book of Hebrew, if you just go there to chapter 11, the scripture that Andrew shared with us here today, but in verse 6, how faith is important for Christians. So in Hebrew chapter 11, in verse 6, Paul is saying, Simply, in verse 6, that, but without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Who diligently seek him. He's not available for lazy people. You have to diligently seek him. Now, we heard the scriptures that Andrew read for us here today, and that's a basic, basic definition of faith that most people get it from the Bible, right there from Hebrew 11, chapter 2, 3, and 4. But if I would ask you simply now, just don't look in your Bible, don't look on your phone, try in your, in your own words to come up with a definition of faith, just one simple sentence. How would you define faith in your own, in your own words? I'll just give you 10, 20 seconds. If you're making notes, try to write it in your own notes. How would you define faith in your own words? Just think for a moment. How would you define it? What do you think about faith? What is a faith? What would be your own definition of faith? Anyone wants to share it? I can repeat it. Sure. Anyone wants to share it? Brother Gore, you were the first one, right? What, what did you come up? How would you define faith? Well, uh, to believe things that are not seen. As Jesus said, you believe and that's good. But blessed are those that believe and have not seen me. Very good. Very good. I, I, was, I was hoping that we get that. Anyone else? 
Yeah, I can do it. Simple. One, one, one sentence. Trust in, trust in action. That's what the faith is. Very good. Anyone else? Any young people who wants to share? What do you think? What comes on your mind? Quickly. Sister Olivia, I'm coming to you, young people. Faith is action based on belief in God's word. All right. Anyone? Anyone can have anything simpler than that? Believe in action. Young people, anyone? Rebecca. Uh, Knowing at all times that my God is with me. Knowing at all times that God is with me. Very good, very good. Can I hold on to the mic a little bit later? All right. I searched some dictionaries, and I was very amazed that I found in actually Oxford Dictionary definition of faith. And just listen to it and see if you can agree to it. Faith, complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Complete trust and confidence in someone or something. Would you agree to this definition? I think it's great. Is it great? That's what you have, Sister Linda, here? Amazing job. Now, just think for a moment. Complete trust. It's impossible not to just live a Christian life, but any life, if you don't have faith in somebody or in something. Just look at us here. I have a great faith in my wife. That she will always love me. Why? Why do I have great faith in my life? I trust her because we've been married for over 24 years now. I know her for over 25 years. She never gave me a reason that I should distrust her. Okay? I love my kids. I know them for over Daniel 17 years and Jessica over 15 years. They never ever gave me a reason that I should not love them. Okay? I have, I have great trust in our pastors, pastors of this church, Brother Agent. I don't know him personally that well as my wife. But all over all these years, through all different interactions and dealing with all different issues, I know that he cares for this church. And I know that he loves this church very much. And I know that. Okay? Look at some other examples in your life. You know, I can see we here, we've been... Standing up and sitting down and standing up and sitting down probably three times. So I would expect that you have a great faith in the chair that you sit on. Just think for a moment. Nobody went to this chair and, you know, and tried to see if the leg broken, how is it going to hold my weight or not. We just take it for granted. Just actually sit and stand and sit and stand. That's faith. Right? Brother Gord, how long did it take you to come here today? Love and hour. Brother Kerry. 45 minutes. I can bet you that you have a great faith in your car, right? Absolutely, right? You just expect that you're going to go start the car. It's going to get you here. If you wouldn't trust your car, you wouldn't be here. If something come up, let's say, you had someone warning on your dashboard that, you know, light with your engine, you wouldn't be here today because you say, I don't know what's going to happen with my car. My stand, you know, my stop somewhere in the middle of the road and I don't want to be stuck there, right? So we see faith. You gotta have faith in something. And we all have, we all have this faith in something or in someone. 
It doesn't have to be a religious thing. We all have a faith. But look at the complete definition, because there is faith that was point one, faith point two from the Oxford Dictionaries. Now it comes to the religion. They define strong in the religion, they define like this. Strong belief in doctrines of our religion based on spiritual conviction rather than proof. And I have a hard time with that definition, especially when it comes to Christianity. Because Christianity, some people say that that's just only faith based on convictions. This faith is not based on any proof whatsoever. Really. Really. Let me give you another example. Let's say you go, middle of the week, you go grocery shopping. And let's say you're on the parking lot. And you're about to close your door and lock your car. And a stranger approaches you, a very nice gentleman. And he says, can I borrow your car? I have real emergency. And he tells you a credible story. He makes you almost cry. He says, can I just borrow your car and I'll be back in 20 minutes. Would you give this gentleman your key to your car? Would you hand him, handle him your key to your car? Wouldn't you agree just to give him a keys would require a blind faith based on no evidence, right? All right. Let's say you come to the same parking lot next week. And your trusted friend comes to you. Somebody that you know for years. Very trusted. Very reliable. Uh, very safety oriented. Very good driver. Would you give him your keys? If he, gave it, if he let's say, told you the same story. Would you hesitate? What if, this, what if this friend, for example, let's say a few years back you were in financial trouble and was actually this friend who actually gave you this card and says, you know, I know brother, sister, I know what you experienced in your life. Let's take it as a gift from me and enjoy it. Would you hesitate for a second to give this friend a key to your car? No. Why not? Because that's faith based on something, right? This faith is based not just on a testimony alone. This faith is based on a past experience that you spend some time together and you know each other. And you know each other intimately. You know each other closely. You can rely on this friend. So, brother, let me tell you, the same thing is with our Christian faith. Exactly the same thing. See, in both cases, we need some faith. In example one, it's a blind faith. We don't know this, friend. We just rely on his testimony. But his testimony is based on nothing. We can't prove anything. Second case, the testimony is based on the past experience. We knew it. We experienced it. We saw it. We went together. We learned through all these years. I can rely on this guy. He can rely on me. That's faith. So, now... Many people claim, especially people who don't know the Bible, they claim that Christianity is a religion based on blind faith. Is it? Let's see what Jesus had to say about the blind faith. Let's go to the Master and find it first. Let's go to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 14. Just breaking here into the context, look what Christ said. Chapter 15 and verse 14. 
Christ says, let them alone. There are blind leaders of the blind. So it's not just the blind leader, but the people are blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. And let me tell you that today, the popular Christianity, that's exactly what it is. Blind leaders trying to, con- trying to control the blind masses, and all of them going nowhere. Because no one is, everyone is afraid to actually do some research, do some diligent work, and actually find out what the Bible is saying about the Christian religion. But now, some people would say, oh yeah, Jesus Christ said here in the Matthew, but it's not the same thing that we are expected from our leader, from our Jesus Christ, that he's asking us to follow him blindly, just to believe him for what he said. Really, let's look at it. Let's go to John chapter 13 this time. There are many other examples, we just don't have time to, to go through all of them. But let's, let's look at John chapter 13. If he would ever encourage his followers just to follow him blindly. John chapter 13. And right here in verse 19. John chapter 13 and verse 19. Now I tell you, that's what Christ is saying to his disciples. Now I tell you before it comes. Then when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. So he's saying, don't just look for my testimony. Look for my evidence. And I'm now I'm telling you ahead of time that something is going to happen, that you're going to remember what I'm telling you, that if this thing happened, remember who told you the first time. I am from God. And, you know, check the prophecy about me from the Old Testament and see how they were fulfilled. That's Jesus Christ himself. What about the apostles? And we all know this example very well. Book of Acts, chapter 17. And this one is from, uh, from Paul. Book of Acts, chapter 17. And you look at that verse 11. And we know about the Bereans, right? Book of Acts, chapter 17, and verse 11. And these were more firm-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. In his scripture, Paul is encouraging not just them, but everybody who's going to read from now on. Don't just trust me what I'm saying. Look at the evidence what I'm saying. Look if my testimony is actually the same or come close with the testimony of other apostles. And on top of that, check your scripture. Check it daily if whatever I'm saying is lined up with the other prophets from the Old Testament, with the other prophets in the New Testament, and make sure that everything you hear aligns together perfectly. He doesn't discourage them not to search, just, you know, just, just, just believe me. Don't question everything. Just believe me. No, that's not what it is. He's actually encouraged him. Encourage them. So, one more time. Is the Christian faith based on blind faith without any evidence? Just think about it. Is it? All right. But look at some scriptures that people take out of context. People do take some scriptures out of context, and many of them. Second Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. I want you to look at your own Bible. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse, and verse 7. Look what Paul is writing here. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Is this endorsement of a blind faith? Look at the same, the same, the same letter, chapter 4, chapter 4 and verse 18. The same letter to Corinthians, but chapter 4 and look at verse 18. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Are we expect to have a blind faith? Let's look at, look at the Gospel of John. And I love the scripture. That's exactly what Brother Gord alluded today when he tried to share his definition of faith. The Gospel of John, chapter 20, and verse 29. John chapter 20 and verse 29. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Is this scripture endorsing a blind faith? Is this scripture endorsing that we shouldn't check anything? Just believe. Really. So let's go at some evidence. Let's go at the beginning and put some scriptures in context. We'll, be, we'll, begin, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to this verse a little bit later. Okay? We'll come to this a little bit later. Look at some evidence in Jesus saying. Look to John chapter 14 for a moment. John chapter 14 and look at verse 11. Chapter 14, John chapter 14, and in verse 11. Look what Christ is saying here. The multitude and to the disciples. Verse 11, he says, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Don't just believe me what I'm saying here to you here today, but look. Or else, believe me for the sake of the works themselves. For the sake of the evidence that I'm trying to show you in daily life here. All these miracles that I do. If you don't believe me personally, just look at my works. Look, go and study and believe in them. That's what Jesus is saying. He's trying to encourage people. Look at my evidence, not just listen to what I'm just telling you. Look at John chapter 10. John chapter 10. John chapter 10 and verse 37. John chapter 10 and verse 37 and 38. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I am in him. So he says, even though you have a hard time to me believe as a person for who I am, just look at the evidence of my works, what I produce here. And just based on the evidence what I'm producing here, Believe me that God sent me because no one else can do something what I'm doing here. John chapter 5. Just go back to John chapter 5. And there are many, many scriptures throughout the Bible. We just pick and select just a few of them. John chapter 5 in verse 36. John chapter 5 and verse 36. 
But I, Jesus, have a greater witness than John's, John's the Baptist. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. He says, not just me as a person, but all the things that I'm able to do to perform here, all these miracles. If you don't believe me as a person, believe the works, believe the, the, the evidence that I'm trying to produce here. That's what, that was, that was, that what Jesus was saying to all this multitude over and over again. Just go back to John chapter 20 for a moment and to the Thomas story. John, John chapter 20. And let's try to read this one little verse, but now in the whole context, okay? So John chapter 20 and go to verse 24. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. Verse 25. The other disciple therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the prints of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. That's what Thomas said. And Jesus would just ignore it. But he didn't. And look what happened in verse 26. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them, and Jesus came the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, and look at my hands. And reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that for a second? You see the Christ. He was dead. He's standing in front of you. And you demanded personally that you not just want to see Christ in his new body. You want to see Christ the way how he was, you know, how he was actually crucified. And Christ exactly appeared in the same state. You can put your fingers into his hands. And you should actually stick your hand inside his body. What more proof would you need than that? What more proof would you need? More than that as a Thomas, right? Based on this evidence, what Thomas experienced, what he was able back then, what he were able to experience, look what he said in verse 28. Based on that, that Jesus showed him, and Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. He didn't need any more, more than that. My Lord and my God. And now comes verse 29. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's including you and me. We don't have this privilege that we can just call on Jesus Christ and he will just appear to us and we can stick our hand into his body and say, like, hmm, I now believe. But we have a book full of eyewitness accounts. They can prove what he said and can prove what he did. Eyewitnesses. They were all eyewitnesses, all of it. And just listen, that's not the end of the story. If Jesus actually is supporting the blind faith, why would he would say here in verse 30? Look what he did. Right after this. In verse 30. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. He did many other signs. For who? For them? Thomas said, I'm done. My Savior, my God, I'm done. I have faith. Why he did all these other proofs? For whom? For them? No. He did for us. He did them for us so they can be recorded. Like in this case, he says... The book cannot handle it. Look at the end of the Gospel of John in verse 25. 
The same chapter, chapter 21 and verse 25. Chapter 21 and verse 25. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the word itself could not contain the books that would be written. And it's in this gospel with amen. And you see, why he would produce all this evidence? Look at John chapter 17, the, the, the Jesus Christ prayer, his final prayer, not his final prayer, but one of his most important prayer to the Father. The priestly prayer in John chapter 17 and verse 20. John chapter 17 and in verse 20. I do not pray for this alone, but also for those who will believe in me. How? How they believe in me? Through their words. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me. And I in you, that it also may be one in us, that the, word may, that the word may believe that you send me. So all these signs, all these miracles, Christ did for them, but not actually for them. He did actually for us, so they could record it, so it would be much easier for us to believe what Jesus Christ did. So, we studied the book of Acts as we're going through it. And I have to remind you this at the beginning of Book of Acts. Just flip a few pages over to the Book of Acts. Right here in chapter 1. And I want you to see how careful was Luke when he was actually writing, when he was recording all these writings. How careful he was. Look at the beginning in verse 1 to 3. The former account I made of Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, verse 2, until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostle whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering, and look at the next, next words, by many infallible proofs. So there is not just one guy testifying to everything. There are multiple, multiple of persons testifying about Jesus, about his miracles, and everything that happened. And he says, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So, we don't just have a testimony of one man. We don't just have a, you know, like a oral, oral tradition about some, somebody did something. We have a written word, eyewitness accounts to the detail, why Jesus came, what he did, and for what reason. Let's say, how many of you, if I would tell you that, if I would tell you that I was born on May 5th, 1973, how many would believe me? What I tell you? How many would believe me? Let me tell you one more time. I was born on May 5th, 1973. How many of you would believe me? Okay? I'll go to my wife first. Why wouldn't you believe me? Because I know you were born on that day. Thank you very much. All the other who raised hand and said they believe me, why do you believe me? Have you seen the written records? Did I show you anything? No, why you believe me? Why are you testing my word for... You see, you don't know me. So let me tell you something. Okay, Brother Adrian. 
up until now you've given me no reason not to believe you, but now I don't know about the future whether I'll believe you. <laughs> Very good. Let me ask you some other question. So how, so how well does it speak about our community? There are about 20-something people, and some of you can even remember when I was born. Simple, right? You said you, you trust me, right? Okay. But let's say, if I would come to you show my driver license and my date of birth, would you believe me? If I come with driver license and my passport, I'll be double witness, right? If I show you my birth certificate, it'll be just a done deal. Now I can trust this guy. He was born on October 28, 1970. That's when I was born. See, people question Jesus Christ's birth, right? If Jesus Christ was really born. Open your gospel to Matthew chapter 1. Just go to Matthew chapter 1. If you want to have any credible ministry in anything, successful career, people have to know when you were born. They have to know where you came from. They have to know, they have to see your birth certificate. Just look at here, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. Look how Christ starts. The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the saint of Abraham. They said, and you have all his genealogy written right here at the beginning of the New Testament. Why? So the people would never ever question if Jesus as a person was ever born. And people question Jesus' power, how he exercised the demons. They question it all the time. But you never ever find in history, you will never ever find in the Bible, that anybody questioned Jesus about his birth and about his coming from the, from the David family. He, will never ever, he was never ever questioned by Jews. Guess what? Because they did check his birth certificate. They did check where he was born. And they know very well that Jesus is not lying. And these records here from the Matthew were never questioned. Never ever through the history or through the, or the writing of the New Testament. Let's go to Luke. Luke chapter 1. Look at Luke chapter 1. Inasmuch, beloved Luke, inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set, set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, verse 2, just as though who from the beginning were what? Were eyewitness and ministers of the word delivered them to us, verse 3, it seems good to me also, having had a perfect understanding, not just some understanding, but having a perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write to you an orderly account. Just before the Luke Gospel, there were probably only the Mark Gospel available and some others' stories from Jesus' lives. And Luke decided, like, wow, look at this. They are not put in orderly fashion. I will try to organize them and put them in orderly fashion in the gospel we call the Gospel of Luke. And he said, all of this is based on eyewitness account. And some people look word for word, gospel to gospel, and says, hey, there are contradictions, you see? How many ever were experienced? How many ever were involved in a car accident? Anyone? Anyone see car accident? That's right. So if I, would, if I would ask you to, let's say, describe the same accident from different sites, if I will ask you to describe the same accident just happened on the street, I'll give totally different account 
from me experience what happened during the accidents, right? I'll probably have some details from Brother Gord that different from, let's say, Sister Teresa. They'll probably a little bit different from Brother Agent and on and on. And the same thing happened with the gospel narrative. When my wife was sick, when she was diagnosed with breast cancer, when they went to the clinic, and the doctors grilled us, grilled, grilled us for almost 45 minutes, trying to tell us what kind of approach they're going to take and how they're going to attack this breast cancer. And they said, that's probably the best scenario that we can take it now. For 45 minutes. After 45 minutes, they left the room and said, I know we have many questions. I know we show at you so many different facts and, you know, and sources. We just leave you alone for 20, half an hour. I want you just to talk together, have some questions. We'll come back in half an hour and we'll have a discussion. It was amazing. You know, the story that I remember what doctor said, she couldn't remember. But the story that she said about something, I couldn't remember. We're both eyewitness to the same thing. Then we came up with a different story. And would it be amazing if we had some other person with us? We'll probably remember even more details what happened during that day. But that's the way how it is. That's how our mind works. And people just look at some of the different gospels and say, oh, this gospel does not agree with this one, this one doesn't agree with this, it can be true. That's nonsense. This is total nonsense. So, we know we can trust how Christ was born. We have genealogy. We can prove it. No one else can do it from the Jewish race except Jesus Christ. That's the only record that's left and is available. All the other records were destroyed during the temple. So there is no one else who can claim a legal, legal, legally, who can claim that he has the right to the throne of David except Jesus Christ through the paperwork. That's what it is. Now, what about his miracles? How many miracles Jesus performed? I don't know. I would say at least 40, maybe more, through all different Gospels, different miracles. Why did he do all these miracles? To prove what? That he's the Messiah. That he's the one that was promised from the beginning in the Old Testament. Look at this probability of all the Old Testament prophecies being fulfilled just about his birth. Over all these hundreds of years. And just coming to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. That's a miracle in itself. But the greatest test that all of us, any single Christians that we stand, the greatest one, the greatest proof, is resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is no one. There is no one before Christ and there is no one after Christ. There is no one who was, whoever died was dead and was resurrected to life. Not to just physical life, but was resurrected to the eternal life. There is no one. No one. People were dead. People were resurrected. Many of them. They had life. They had physical life. Only one, only one was resurrected and has eternal life. And there is no one else than Jesus Christ. And our faith, our faith is actually anchor to this one simple belief, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If this is not true, then whatever we're doing here today, it just doesn't make any sense. You just go home, have a barbecue, enjoy your life. That's how serious it is. 
Look with me. I want you to open to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15 and in verse 12. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been risen, raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then the Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found fault witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. You see the connection how Paul is... How Paul, how Paul is stating here. If there is no resurrection, that your faith is futile. Don't believe it. Go and do something else productive in your life. For if the dead, verse 16, for if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Verse 18, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So all the people before us, they just perish. There is no hope for them. So, nothing. If Jesus Christ didn't rise, then forget about it. But Jesus Christ did rise. He was resurrected from the dead. And we have many, we have multiple of witnesses. Many witnesses. More than two, more than three. First Corinthians 15, look at verse 3. The same chapter. Now Paul is writing. How important was resurrection for Paul? For I delivered to you first all of that which I also received. What did he receive? That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, verse 4, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, verse 5, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and verse 6, after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. So Paul is saying, even though I'm writing this letter to you, it's about three decades later, after Christ's death, there are still some people alive who experienced Christ's resurrection. And, and in verse 7 he says, After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, and verse 8, then last of all, he was seen by me also, as one born out of the due time. He's not writing some fairy tale stories. You know, his life was dramatically changed. He's writing, he's seen the Christ. He was taught by Christ. Peter saw Christ. James and John and all of them, and 400 other witnesses, saw resurrected Christ. So it's not just our faith, it's just based on nothing. They have a multiple of witnesses. They can testify what they saw and what they did, what they experienced with Jesus Christ. But, you know, just let me give one more verse. In First John chapter 4, let's go to John now. Just change from Paul, just go to John. 
First John, in chapter 4, First John chapter 4 in verse 12. Now John is writing here, a different individual, and now look what he's saying. Now one, no one has seen God at any time. No one. No one has seen God at any time. If you love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And verse 14, and we, disciples, we have seen and testified, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as a Savior of the world. He saw it, he experienced it, and he is testifying as an eyewitness what he saw and what he experienced. So, we can be here all day, and I can show you all the faith scriptures in the Bible. But I just want to give you a basic. Just to, when you go home, when you think about it, what the faith is, why the faith is so important. Now, at the end, I want to leave you, not with a question, let's answer this question. How we can grow in this faith? How we can experience to have more faith? And I would give you a partial answer to it. I have a quote from a preacher, and he said something like this. Most Christians feed their bodies three hot meals a day. They spirit one cold snug a week, and they wonder why they are so weak in faith. I will read you one more time, okay? There is one preacher who said, Most Christians feed their bodies three hot meals a day, but their spirit one cold snug a week, and then they wonder why they are so weak in faith. Some people would say, I just don't have it. I don't have the faith that you're talking about. But you know, I would. If I would see, if somebody would turn this table to a rabbit, I would believe it. That what it would take for you? Just to turn a table into a rabbit or whatever? Is that really what it takes for you to believe in something? Go to Luke chapter 16. And we all know the parable. Brother Rick was here from Kishinder a few weeks ago. And he actually touched on this parable. But look at the last verse of this parable. Doesn't matter what kind of miracle, if you don't want to believe it, if you don't want to prove it for yourself, you will never ever believe it. Verse 31, Luke chapter 16 and verse 31. And you know all the story about the rich man and Lazarus. But right there at verse 31. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophet Jesus, but let's say, let's go a little bit higher, let's verse 30. Yeah, verse 30, he said, No, Father, Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, if one goes to them from the dead, they will believe it, they will repent it. But in verse 31, Jesus says, But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither, neither, neither they be persuaded, the one rises from the dead. And that's the whole story, the point of the Lazarus and the rich man. And Jesus was predicting that he says, I will raise from the dead 
and you will still not believe me because you don't want to believe me. So it's not about miracles. It's not about miracles. You know, miracles can easily deceive you too, going the other way. It's not just about miracles. But it's more than that. It's your heart. And you know, faith. How we grow in your faith? How we grow in your faith? But let's, 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 we go to the scripture. I want to have an interaction. Let's say, how would you grow in your faith towards me? How would you have more faith in me? Sister Teresa was first. How would you have more faith in me? I would spend more time with you and get Can to you know speak you. Can you speak to the mic, please? I would spend more time in getting to know you. Wow. It's so complicated, right? I will spend more time with you. How many of you know my weakest point? My wife, my son, my daughter. What about you? How come you don't know my weakest point? How come you don't know me? So you have to live to me? With me to know me a little bit better? You see? When I'm going with it, you know, we live in a community, see, we have very strong community here. We don't know much thing about each other. We don't know how I react in a difficult situation. You haven't seen me in a situation like that. You only seen me when I'm here speaking, or I'm at the church, or maybe during the Feast of Tabernacle. You know, we just see me think, you know, oh, how strong is Jan? But you don't see me when I'm at work. You don't see me when I have a problem at home. You don't see me the things that I struggle with on a daily level. You know, how about you? How much do you have faith in Sister Teresa? How much do you know Sister Teresa? Do you know when she was born? Do you know the things that she struggled with her life? What about Brother Agent? How do you know him? How well do you know him? You see where I'm going with this? And it's all the same thing. Church is supposed to be a community. Jesus Christ says, if you want to have a deep faith in Christ, how you can have this faith in Christ? Get to know Him. How we get to know Him? You get busy. You get busy and you start actually reading what is here about Jesus Christ. And you go, you get busy and you're busy so you're able to prove some things to yourself. Whatever questions might have. God the Father is not going to just, just sit there up in heaven and says, you know, I will throw you all the faith at you and you come the next day like, wow, look at me. No. The only time we're going to grow in faith, in knowledge, when we actually go to the battle together. Not to see that, you know, when we're all comfortable and relaxed, but when we see each other at the critical point that our lives might depend on each other. Then we can say, I can trust Sister Teresa. I can trust Brother Agent. I can trust Brother Gord. But, till that time, we can only speculate. Look at Colossians, the last scripture for today. The book of Colossians, chapter 1.
the book of Colossians chapter 1. And in verse 9. Book of Colossians chapter 1 in verse 9. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. If you want to increase your knowledge of God, if you want to prove that God exists, you want to prove that Jesus Christ actually had a ministry on this earth, don't just come and complain. Sit down and prove for yourself. Let me give you something I found a quote when I was doing here over the internet about something about faith. The word around us, the word around us says, I will believe it when I see it, but the Bible said, I will see it when I believe it. And you should know the difference. May God bless you all. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.